This is Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 22. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and I'm back in the studio with Chris Field. Here I am again, and looking forward to a fantastic interview today. We have someone that I believe is going to really be relevant to the men in our audience today. Well, we, we always say that we have somebody special we, to we, talk to, don't we? Okay, we've got someone special today. <laughs> <laughs> but but we do have somebody who it's taking a little bit of a mission to, to get him on the, on the phone. He's calling in from... Uh, actually, in the same town we're in, but uh, his plane was delayed getting here from flying from Singapore. And uh, he's actually from the US. We have Professor Gregory Winston Slayton on the phone. Welcome, Professor. Thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I, if I went through your whole biography, if I went through your whole CV, we probably wouldn't have enough time to cover it on the show. So I'm going to have a little bit of a stab at, stab at giving you a bit of an intro. Can I do that? Absolutely. Okay, so Professor Slayton uh, graduated with honours from uh, Harvard University with an MBA. He's also an Ivy League graduate and a veteran of McKinsey Company and Paramount Pictures and venture capital firm he founded, Slayton Capital, uh, which included an investment in a very small little tech company, some of you might have heard of, called Google, in one of the very early rounds of, of investment in that firm. He spent four years as the United States Consul General and U.S. Chief of Mission to Bermuda, and is still the only Republican diplomat in U.S. history to be awarded the Distinguished Foreign Service Award from the Congressional Black Caucus. And you're also appointed twice, I believe, by President Obama as an ambassador, which is pretty rare for for a Republican-appointed ambassador to be reappointed by a a Democratic uh, president. And uh, you've also featured on the cover of Wall Street, in Wall Street Journal and jointly on Time magazine. And your feats in Silicon Valley are still studied in Harvard University. How's that for an intro? Is that about right? <laughs> Who are you talking about there? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I missed miss one of, the, one of the, the big things from recently. I don't actually know how recent this is, but it really is a big deal that you have, pu- you have written the only Christian book to be published by the second largest Chinese publisher in China, which is effectively endorsed by the Chinese government. Yeah, that, that, that right? no, that is, that is correct. And the, the book that we're going to be talking about today, Be a Better Dad Today, has sold about 300,000 copies around the world and is in 20 different languages. We are blessed to give all the profits to charity but it's an important, I might not be a great writer, but it is a very, very important subject, especially for us men. So I'm delighted to be on the show with you guys today to talk about it. And this is, this is the topic which is dear to our hearts and dear to so many of the men that we have on our show, because in the Western world today, it's something like one in three, one in three kids are growing up without a dad. Whereas when you, when you were a young man, uh, Gregory, it was more like 10%, like one in 10. But as a young man, you you had a very troubled childhood with the relationship with your father. Can you start us off there? Well, I won't go into the gory details, but let's just say that my father probably should have been in jail. Uh, We moved around a lot, and now I realize looking back on it, he was kind of trying to stay one step ahead of the law. Finally, he wrote a note to my brothers and myself, a note I will never forget, where he said, uh, boys, I'm leaving. 
I never want to hear from you again. I never want to see you again. I never want to have anything to do with you again for the rest of my life, which here we are many, many years later, still painful. So, and, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah. So your dad wrote you a note saying that he never wanted to see you and your brothers again. Correct. That, and he mimeographed it and, uh, and sent one to each of us. It's just weird, just beyond weird, but yes. How old happened. were you then, Gregory? Uh, I was in my, I, I, well, this whole thing happened during my teens. It was kind of a train wreck. Uh, so there was a whole bunch of different things that happened and that went badly and it ended basically with my father writing uh, us, the three of us, this, this mimeographed letter. And then we didn't hear from him. We didn't know where he was. We had, we could not, not contact him for 25 years. So until he died and uh, my brother was called uh, uh, and, and, and got the news uh, from a state appointed administrator. So, I mean, the, the biggest belief to imagine what that was like for a young man to to uh, to get that. What was what was going through your mind and your brother's minds when when you read that note? Did you guys blame yourselves, or what happened? I think that I think that it is very typical for children to blame themselves when there's a divorce in the family or when there's some kind of serious dysfunction in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was certainly true for me. And I think for my brothers as well, to, to, to some extent. Um, so that, that makes it difficult, of course. Over time, I came to realize that it was, you know, my father really was a, a, a deeply troubled soul. And the beautiful thing, I want to say the good part of the story too, because it's a very good part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was not born into a family of faith at all, in, not at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and right around the same time that my, my father decided to abandon us, uh, the Changs, a, uh, a Chinese-American family, moved into my town. In fact, they became our neighbors, and they had a son my age, and I ended up spending a tremendous amount of time with them. I would even say they kind of quasi-adopted me, and they gave me my first Bible. They were a very strong family a wonderful, loving uh, couple, good, really good parents, and they were Christians. And that really, their kindness and their love for me really altered my life. In fact, that was my, uh, what really got me onto the power of fatherhood was to see Mr. Chang, a really, not a perfect father, there are no perfect fathers, but a good father, a guy who really tried to be a good father, and my own dad, who uh, was, let's just say, at the other end of the spectrum, and the power of fatherhood for good or for evil was just so, so obvious, clear in my life. So, Gregory, as you got into this subject, obviously it must have meant a lot to you from your own personal experience. Uh, Your own background would have really tuned you into the subject. Uh, And then you've written the book called Be a Better Dad. So are you really championing for people to be more attentive or do you feel like you actually have the steps for men to follow in order to be that better dad? Well, I think it is both, uh, it, to be honest. But I think like anything else, I think having the right tools can really help us. You know, I can intend to build a bicycle or I can intend to build a company. But if I don't have the right tools, I can't do either. And that's what I've tried to do here uh, Uh, In this book, the subtitle, as you guys know, is 10 Tools Every Father Needs. 
And these are tools I've seen as I've studied fatherhood in Asia, Africa, Europe, North and South America. I've studied good dads and frankly bad dads and tried to kind of understand and really isolate, okay, what, are, what makes these guys a good dad? What is it that really helps them to be successful in this important effort? And we've tried to distill those into 10 tools that every father needs to be a better dad today. So what do you think are some of the bigger hurdles that Western dads are likely to trip over when they take on the role of being a dad? Well, first of all, it's a question of priorities, right? Is this important? And that's not a question of what you say. Every, everybody says, you know, 90%, 95% dads say, yeah, yeah, my family's important. Yeah. It's a question of what is your schedule, right? What's your, what's, what's, what's your calendar look like on your cell phone, right? I mean, and, and effectively, how much time are you spending? And is that quality time? You know how kids spell the word love, right? Kids spell the word love all over the, all over the world. They spell it T-I-M-E. That's the truth. And we as dads, I'm not suggesting we as dads quit our jobs and you know, spend 24-7 at home. That's not, that's not rational and it's not helpful. But I do think that we have to be deliberate about being good fathers. And that means making time and making sure that the time we spend with our wife and our kids is quality time. That's why the very first tool, the very first of the 10 tools is the F tool, family first, family fun. So let's, so let's get really practical here. Uh, I think we all agree that we need to spend time with our kids, but I'm a former hedge fund manager. You're a venture capitalist, plus you've been a, uh, an ambassador and you're writing a book and you're teaching at several universities. How practically, with somebody who was that busy, did you have time for, for your kids and for your wife? Well, it's, it's, there's a couple, I'd give a couple different answers to that. First of all, I like to talk about the magical marginal hour, okay? It's the time in the morning and in the evening when you got to decide, am I going to spend the next hour or the next 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening, you know, on email or talking to a colleague or, or whatever, or am I going to spend it with my family, right? Everybody's got to work eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I get that. I'm a former McKinsey and company guy. Here yep. <laughs> I get working hard, okay? And I actually like to work hard. So, but the point is, am I going to spend that, that, that 11th hour doing work or on the phone or, you know, on email? Or am I going to take my boy out to the park and, and, and throw the old baseball around with him? Maybe here in Australia, you know, teach him to play Australia, Australian rules football, right? Or am I going to take my daughter, uh, you know, out for a nice walk or go see her piano recital or, or take my wife out to dinner? That's a critical decision that we make every single week. So uh, that's kind of one aspect, week in and week out. What do we do with that magical, what I call the magical marginal hour? And if we invest it in our families, it's not, the truth is, it's not going to matter to our careers, right? Mm -hmm. That extra hour or two on top of the 60 that we're already giving, the 40 or 50 or 60 we're already giving to the McKinsey and companies or wherever we're working, the extra hour or two is not really going to make or break our careers. That's the truth. But it's 100, it is, 100, 168 hours in a week. And the question exactly. out of that is, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How many so of that are you devoting to your kids and wife? Bingo. So over the, over the course of a week, if you can take five hours away from your job and invest them into your family, 
that that marginal time is not going to impact your career. It's not okay, but it is going to impact your family dramatically if you invest it wisely. Hmm. So I'll just say something else too. There's all kinds of ways today that we can get our kids involved. I, I love to take my kids on business trips when I can. You know, I love to take them and you know, or take them to the office or get involved and get them involved in some some aspect of my work. That's fun for the kids. They see what dad does. Uh, we can bond. Uh, it's it, it's a lot of fun. And there's all kinds of opportunities to uh, travel with the kids. I mean, when your kids get a little older, at least in the States, we do a college trips, right? And you take the kids around to the various colleges they might be interested in. Those kind of things are just so much fun. And there are all kinds of opportunities if we're looking for them. And uh, so I really encourage dads to to get involved again, to make sure that their families are priority and make sure the time they're investing is high quality time. And I just want to give one practical example of, of what I did along those lines. When I was, um, when I was running a hedge fund, we had to go to the US for in Seattle for uh, an investor conference. And, and instead of flying business class, I chose to, flow, to fly premium economy and took my daughter. So it didn't cost the firm anymore, but I took one of my daughters and she tagged along with me on the trip and it meant the world to her. And so it didn't hurt my career. It didn't take any extra time. And it was a way of, of spending some time with her. I love that example. And let me just add, if I could, your daughter will never forget that. That's she right. will never forget that. You have created a memory and a positive, wonderful memory that your daughter will remember all her life. That's what we're trying to do as dads, create positive mm. you know, relationships, and memories that are going to serve us and our children and our whole families, uh, you know, long, long into the future. So, Greg, why do you think people aren't instinctively, automatically doing that? What's part of our Western mindset that just uh, tunes us out to the important things? Well, I think the good news is that a lot of dads, more and more dads are. I mean, a lot of people focus on the bad news, which you guys cited earlier, and it's true. A larger percentage than ever before of children are growing up with absentee fathers. And that is true, and it's devastating. The research is very, very clear. The chance of, our, of a child becoming uh, a drug addict or having an unwanted teen pregnancy or committing suicide or dropping out of school is dramatically higher uh, if dad is not involved in their lives, dramatically higher. But on the other hand, the good news is that we have more and more dads today who are actively involved in their children's life, not just as a financial provider, okay, here's the money, you know, whatever, but understanding, as I, I try to point out in the book, that we have to give our children far more than just financial support. We as dads, really our kids look to us for emotional support, for physical support, for spiritual support. And, uh, and intellectual support as well. So those are there, there's four or five different areas of support that we have to give our children. Now, to your question, why, you know, that, that's a, a deep question. I think part of it is the way the media has portrayed dads in the, in the 40s and 50s. Uh, dads were portrayed, I wasn't alive that back then, but dads were portrayed in a very generally positive role models. Uh, you get into the 70s and 80s, starting with Archer, Archie Bunker and All in the Family, and all of a sudden, dads are portrayed as, you know, bozos and complete, you know, nincompoops. So I think, you know, it's part of it is, is, is media and media portrayal of fathers. And also, frankly, fatherhood is not 
it's not easy. I mean, it's just not easy. It's not, you know, you go out, you were a hedge fund manager, you know, or you're a salesman or, you know, you go sign a million dollar deal, you get a nice paycheck and everybody's cheering you on. And, and that's great, right? Immediate gratification. Fatherhood mm -hmm. is not about immediate gratification. It's about, you know, a lot of slog, a lot of hard work, changing diapers and doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Instead of going out and, you know, drinking beer and, and watching uh, football with your buddies, but the payoff is, is, is the best in the world, but it is very much delayed gratification. It's true. But having said that, though, there are ways, there are things you can do with your kids to, to, to bring some of that forward. I mean, there's no reason why you can't find ways to have fun with your kids right now. Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. In fact, I would argue that it's, you know, the, that's why I say the first chapter of the book is on family first, family fun. Because hmm. I think, you know, the people you love, you, you know, you're having fun together. I mean, I, and, and it, as, as dads, a family is a buffer. I, I got to tell you, I've had a pretty successful career and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, but I've also had some rough times. And I'll, I'll remember one time in Silicon Valley, I was CEO of a company and I got fired. Now, this happens in Silicon Valley. The company was doing badly, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I came home and, and, and my wife, I'd, I'd called her from the office. I said, hey, got some bad news here. The board's decided to go in another strategic direction. Fine. Um, I got home and, you know, my, my little girl who was 10 years old, she said she, she met me at the door. She gave me a big hug. She said, Daddy, you are the best, right? And I don't, Daddy, don't worry about what happened at work. You're a great dad. You're a great CEO. You know something? That, that I will never forget. Right. She's only 10 years old. Right. But but stuff like that can really buffer us from the the slings as Shakespeare says, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. These days, I've been on the cover of Time magazine. I've been a very successful CEO, but also I've had my share of uh, challenges. And I think virtually every single guy listening to this podcast can probably understand what I'm saying there. Yeah. And so one of the one of the challenges that we have is how do we deal with those failures? What do you do when you when you get sacked from that job, when you get laid off, when you have a fight with your wife, what's your, what's your response? And those are the critical times, aren't they? When you, you've got to make a decision, how you're going to respond to that, that bad outcome to that, or, or perhaps even to a, a failure of, on your part. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we all have failures. We all have difficulties. There's actually a chapter in my book about learning from life's curveballs. And the whole point is that all of us have failures. Some of them are self-inflicted and some of them are external. But the question is, how are we going to learn from them? Are we going to allow them to shape our character in a good way or in a bad way? Right? You've heard it before many times, but it's so true. Are we going to get better or are we going to get bitter? And, you know, as, as dads, our families can, can help us get better and can help us also realize that, you know, we're not, if we've had a setback, if we had a failure, we are not failures. There's a big difference between having a failure and being a failure. And that's something not only can, you know, we have to learn, but we have to set the example for our kids. And that is a big part of being a, a father. You know, each one of our children are going to have setbacks themselves, but if they've seen their dad and their mom overcome setbacks they're going to be much more stronger and much more resilient themselves. Well, Greg, you've talked a bit about your first uh, 
10 of the 10 of the issue of time. Let's just come back to another question. Be a better dad. What do you think would be a description of a better dad as a kind of a summary statement to someone to, to measure themselves against? Just give us a picture of what a better dad looks like in a Western community. Well, I would say generally a better dad is one who is, is involved in his family's life as a servant leader. Okay. That doesn't mean a perfect dad. That doesn't mean a dad who's, you know, always doing everything, you know, in, in, in the, in, in the best possible way, but it means has a dad who has an attitude understanding that this is an important job that I've got to devote a significant portion of my, you know, my emotional energy and my time to this job. And that the fundamental job is serving my family, serving my wife, serving my children. Uh, and I don't, I'm not, let me be clear. I'm not talking about necessarily serving dinner, although sometimes that's a nice thing to do, but serving in, 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 in creating an environment, creating an atmosphere for a healthy family, for good discussions, for the kind of fun that you were talking about earlier, taking your daughter to the uh, conference uh, in Seattle, uh, doing stuff like that so that our family really feels fulfilled and together and united, uh, you know, in good times and bad. I think that would be kind of a general definition of, uh, of an effective of a good father. And people tell us that one of the key issues of the, of the family situation for the dad is actually to make sure he maintains a good relationship with his wife. No, thank you very much. That is the second chapter of the 10. That's the second of the 10 tools, uh, what we call the all in marriage, because the, again, this is just based on research that uh, not that I've done, but that I've uh, been uh, that I've actually uh, uh, looked at it extensively. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children is a happy uh, marriage to their mom. And it makes, it stands to reason, the two most important people in any young child's life are their mom and their dad. And if mom and dad are getting along, if they're able to overcome their differences and uh, really work together, uh, then that is a great, great blessing and gives a sense of security and stability to, uh, to the children in that house. Fantastic. I'm going to just change pulse for us here, though, because the truth is there are men listening to us today who are already in a state of brokenness. They've already messed up a marriage. They maybe uh, have their child uh, some of the time because it's being the child is spending most of its time with its mother or whatever. Some of those guys are going to feel like they're already too much of a failure to continue successfully in the role of a dad. I don't think you'd believe that. No, not at all. Not at all. And let me just say from my own life, you know, my father abandoned us and was alive for 25 years. Any of those years, any of those days, my brothers and I would have been very happy to welcome our father back into our lives. Now, of course, there would have had been some tears. There would have been some apologies, probably on both sides. Uh, but he never chose to make that, make that step. And that's why one of the chapters in the book actually is for dads who have been estranged from their families, their children, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, we talk about divorced dads, dads coming out of jail, long distance dads who have taken a job perhaps in another continent or another part of the country. And I really want to address those situations because it's very, very important for those guys, for those dads to be good dads themselves, to get back involved in their children's lives, 
to be a positive uh, influence on their kids' lives. It is very possible, and I want to encourage anyone listening out there, that if you're in that situation, don't give up. Don't say, well, I've messed up, and it's, it's not possible for me to, to be a good dad. That is absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. And the book gives plenty of examples of guys who decided to bite the bullet, decided to get back involved with their kids' lives, and really did, you know, did their kids a great, great favor. And by the way, a great blessing to themselves as well in that they were, they did become good dads. And that was wonderful, not just for their kids, but for them as well. That's, uh, that's so, that's so true. I mean, we don't want to get to the end of our lives and have that, those sort of regrets that we can imagine that your father had uh, of, you know, uh, we've we've talked about this before on our show that, um, you know, around about 20-odd percent of people will have regrets over their careers, but it's more like 40 to 50 percent who will have regrets over their relationships and their family and uh, whether it's their marriage and their kids. And so often we've just got to do the thing which just seems like the completely opposite to what we actually want to do, and we know it's the right thing. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we have to start with the end in mind. and. That's one of the, 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 the chapter that I wrote on the noble family vision. That's something that I think is pretty novel to this book. I've never seen that referred to in any other fatherhood or family book, but I really challenge readers to put together a family vision statement, not mm. just the dads, not just the moms by themselves, but, and not just the kids, but together writing a family vision statement. Where do we want to be as a family in let's say 20 years or 30 years. How do we want our, our, our children to relate to each other when they are parents, when they're grown up? Uh, how do we want them to relate to us? And, and of course, every family should and, and, and must have a, a different vision statement. But the question is not just where you want to be in 10 or 20 or 30 years, but how are you going to get there? Mm. And that is a powerful uh, powerful motivator for families. So I, I encourage guys to to take a look at that and maybe uh, put in a little, it's not, not hard to do, but put in a little work with your wife and your children to create, to craft a family vision statement for yourself because it's, um, it, it's, 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 it's powerful. So many families today, you know, you got the mom trying to go one direction, the dad going a totally different direction, and the children maybe going when they're a little older, going some totally, you know, in a third direction. Much better to have us work it out, talk it out, and decide, okay, as a family, here's the direction we want to go. It's so true. Now, my gut feeling, and forgive me for coming back to this kind of focus again, but uh, I think there are men who will feel like, hey, their kids have already written them off. There's been uh, tensions, difficulties, and uh, the dad would feel like uh, it's, it's too hard a job to try and reconnect with my child, win back their heart. I, I'm inclined to believe that you would challenge any dad in that pl- place to still stick with their role as dad? Well, I really would. And, and I, I want to acknowledge right off the bat that in some cases, you know, if you're, if, if, you know, in, in some cases it may be impossible to win back your kid's love. I mean, in, you know, cases of abuse or something like that. And, you know, it's been many, many years, you know, maybe not, but I think in 99% of the cases, it is possible. And I think in a hundred percent of the cases, it's worth trying, right? We've got to give it our best shot. 
And I guess the way I'd summarize that, Greg, is to say a dad is always going to be their dad. Correct. That's exactly right. And I, I, I point out in the book that, you know, even I was a U.S. ambassador. I was a Ivy League professor. And the truth is, they're better ambassadors than me. They're better, they're better professors than me. But for my family and for your family and for every single man's family who's listening to this show, you are the father of those children. And there's no other. Right now, there might be adopted families, and that, that's a whole different issue. It's a very honorable, wonderful thing. But the point is, if you have children, and even if you're not in touch with them, you are still their father, and you're still responsible for them. One of the things I just want to say also for guys who are divorced or maybe separated or, or never married, the, the mothers of their children, let me just make no bones about it. You have to respect and take care of the mother of your children. No bones about it, guys. That's just, that's the way it is. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I challenge any dad who told anybody who told me, hey, I'm a father, but I don't really, and I love my kids, but, my, but, but I don't, you know, I don't help, I don't support, you know, I don't do anything really for their, for their mom. Uh, that's the wrong attitude. That's, uh, you know, that's, frankly, that's just being a baby. And there are a lot of baby dads out there, but that's a disaster for them, it's a disaster for their kids, and it's a disaster for our society. Hmm. Well, we're just about out of time. This has been a pleasure. I want to finish with just talking about what's, what, what is at stake here. In your book, you say that the future of civilization depends on how fathers do their jobs. Yeah, and I stand by that, absolutely. Again, the research is pretty clear that uh, children who grow up with the active, involved dads are much more likely, I mean, like, many times more likely to have a good job themselves, to get through high school, to go to college, to have a good marriage themselves, to have happy, a happy family, uh, to be productive members of society, to, by the way, live ha- uh, healthier lives, to live longer than their counterparts. Uh, so the, the role and the impact on fatherhood is not just great for us as a family, but it's also on us as a great on communities and great on our nation. In fact, the, you know, I'm the chairman of, of Family First International. And our motto is very simple. Strengthen your family. Strengthen your world. And the research indicates clearly that is the case. Now, guys, I want to mention that we are just launching Family First Australia. We've got a wonderful group of Australian uh, men and women who are heading up the effort here. And if any of your listeners want to get more information or you know, get a copy of the book, whatever, they can go to a familyfirstaustralia.com. Again, that's familyfirstaustralia.com. And the book is Be a Better Dad Today that we've been discussing, but we have a book called Be the Best Mom You Can Be. And we've also just come out with a book called Maximum Marriage. All those books are available on Amazon or at the website. And 100% of the profits from those books goes to Family First Australia. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, where it's a very... A uh, wonderful group of folks that are doing it here in Australia, and we want to support them as best we can. Yeah, and we'll put all those details on our website as well, so uh, listeners can follow them, uh, follow them through. So, wonderful. thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, we love what you're doing. It's incredible that you've been so successful in your career, but your heart is really now uh, turned towards making dads better dads. That's awesome. Well, thank you, guys. I really love the uh, the title of the show, and I'm honored to have 
joined you uh, for it. And if I can help in any way, and I know I speak for my colleagues at Family First Australia, uh, you know, please count on us because we love what you're doing. Well, we'd love to have you back on sometime and for really talk to our, our business listeners because we, uh, on the show, we, we really like to cover four key areas, business, family, uh, faith, and uh, self-well-being. So we'd love to have you back on sometime to talk about the business side of things. Well, outstanding. Count on that, gentlemen. Yeah, count on that. It'll be a real pleasure. Gregory, thanks for being real with us. We appreciate that. That's exactly what we're on about. And we appreciate you've got real advice that's going to help men be really good dads. So thanks so much. All right. All the very best, man. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye now. Okay. So to all our listeners, uh, that was Professor Gregory Winston Slayton. And uh, go to the website, wwwrealmen 247 Org, and you'll find links there to, to uh, Professor Slayton's book and to Family First International. We'd love to hear what you thought about um, having the professor on and, uh, and what you'd like us to talk about with him next time we can find a gap in his schedule. So yeah. it's a goodbye from me. And from me, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.